0: Welcome to the Our Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Uh, yeah, I'll just start by, uh, you know, just singing that song, If Grace is an Ocean, where I was thinking it was, it's kind of, Whoa. Oh, I love that song. It's a bit gooey, isn't it? I know, it's a, bit, it's a slightly gooey song, but uh, it reminded me of a Uh, a dream I had oh my gosh it was about 30 years ago and in this dream I was on a beach this has nothing to do with my talk I don't think although it's kind of all related in this dream I was on a beach and sunbathing and having a great time and somebody shouted tidal wave and just in the distance you could see Something rising up out of the ocean mm-hmm. and it just slowly, slowly, slowly got and it was towering, it was clearly hundreds of meters high. you Have you seen, you've seen these various apocalyptic films, haven't you? What is it? So the is it the day after tomorrow or something? Could be. Oh, something oh, or something. Oh, sort of deep impact. As you get, I see these tidal waves sort of 300 meters, quarter of a mile high coming and there was this just this slowly advancing and it took a while for everybody on the beach to realize oh my god run so and you remember you remember the uh, the cartoon tom and jerry where is going with his legs, but not moving. Just kind of like digging a hole in the ground with his legs because he's trying to run so fast. And I was kind of like that. <laughs> my legs going so fast, I couldn't see my legs. I kind of didn't, I didn't move. <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, so I couldn't escape, and suddenly, bang, this tidal wave hits. And I remember in the whole, nearly the whole of the dream was me experimenting with different ways of trying to survive I was being bashed around by everything and then I was trying to make myself into a ball but things were banging into me and then I'd make myself into a rod like that, dead rigid or or hold on to the bottom but everything kept bashing into me until I suddenly realised I'm just going to have to just let go And, and suddenly kind of went all floppy and stopped trying to do anything. And suddenly, my arms are floating with the, the currents. And then, because everything else was floating with the current, my arms were floating in the same direction and everything. So, I stopped getting hit by anything. Does that all make sense? That was kind of the dream. I uh, you know, just tried for ages trying to handle it. And then at some point, I realized stop handling it, just go with it. And suddenly, everything became incredibly, suddenly, I was enjoying the tidal wave. Enjoying being in this tide wave, and I'm absolutely certain that what I, that dream was in, was what, what's been happening in the church in the last 20 years has just been amazing, and I I honestly believe that that we are in a time where we're experiencing in the church tidal waves of grace. Uh, you know, they have been. John Wimber of the Vineyard, he used to talk about waves, didn't he? Wave of the Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit had and, and come. And I'm, and I'm sure throughout the whole of these last 2,000 years, there have, there have been such waves come along and revivals and so on. But I do believe we're in a privileged time where we are being overwhelmed by wave after wave of the Holy Spirit just bringing a new freedom to the world. I do, I do believe uh, we're in a time where the sons of God, although there have been throughout history, the sons of God, many sons of God, have known actually who they are and what belongs to them. But I believe we're in an unprecedented time, a tidal wave of revelation, which is certainly hitting the church. Uh, and you'll find that there are people within it this tidal wave, cuddled up like little balls. Trying to make themselves dead rigid. (laughs) Trying to hold on to something. (laughs) And, you know, guys, I think the trick is to let go. (laughs) I, I think the trick is what God told me in my dream. Let go and go with it, because this is unstoppable. I think what God's doing is unstoppable. It's part of... His plan throughout history, you know, the whole of history has been working together. The whole of creation is working together for him to generate out of this soup, this cooking pot of creation. I like, I like, I like things like soup and cooking pots and things because you get something nice at the end. And, uh, uh, and God is just doing that. You know, he's, that's what the whole of our story is about, isn't it? Sort of recognizing where we came from, you know, how God has taken this world and the people in it, and he, he's kind of brewing us and stirring and throwing ingredients in, you know, we can f- use a different analogy if you want cooking pots and ingredients instead of tidal waves, it's the same thing. You know, and, uh, but I do, But uh, so I feel it's a great privilege to be right, I believe, in the center of uh, a renewed revelation, a renewed understanding of what exactly God has done and what God is doing. So, and as I say, the trick for us as people is to Go all loose-limbed and stop fighting it. <laughs> That's the trick. Um, okay, anyway, yeah, I wanted to, uh, so anyway, I'll start my talk. That took me six minutes, 37 seconds to as a preamble, but anyway. Huh? <laughs> Good six minutes, yeah. Grace, we're going to be talking about Grace. You are in Kingsway Fellowship, guys. And it won't take you much longer than about 25 seconds to realize that we talk about grace here. Uh, Grace has had some bad names in the church. I think there's lots of us still here, elsewhere, curled up in little balls, making ourselves rigid, trying to hold on to the bottom. (laughs) A lot of complaining. But we're in a tidal wave of unstoppable revelation about who we are, who God is. <laughs> and it's, and it's, amazing. it's an amazing ride, I'm telling you. It's a great ride. Um, but it won't take you long to realize that we talk about grace a lot. So I just thought I'd ask you guys what you what we, what your understanding of, do you have a definition of grace Any any concept in your head of what, you you know the phrase grace, yeah, but do you have any understanding, uh, any any idea, have you got a definition in your head of what what grace might be, that you could translate into English? (laughs) No, don't worry. It's just uh, (laughs) God loving us and we don't have anything to do with it. Yeah, God loving us. And we don't have anything to do, but to to add to that love because he's kind of done it all. Yeah. Anything to add, to that, Olivia? Oh, it's a damn good, get down, good definition. Well done. Yeah. I got. I've just made a little leaflets, so a couple of little leaflets, oh, yeah. handouts. I like little handouts. Else wants one to look at no okay Um, Grace my definition of grace is pretty much like yours Mary yeah yeah it's okay Paul go ahead my definition of yours of grace is pretty much like yours it's it's simply what God's done specifically for us I mean you could say you know God created Niagara Falls. And I suppose, technically speaking, we wouldn't define that as an act of grace, although in my opinion it is. It's it's simply, you know, he's made a beautiful thing. He's done it. You know, he created our planet, it's an act of grace. Uh, But specifically, I suppose we tend to reserve the word grace for what he's done for us. And in fact, there's a very old traditional definition of grace, which for some reason Went out of fashion. I, I've heard some people saying I don't like this definition, but I kind of do like it. G- and and it's the words G R A C E, God G God's R riches, A at C Christ's E our expense expense. Sorry at Christ's expense. So God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, God J- Jesus just paid the bill footed the bill, you know. I don't think footed the, uh, and if you were listening to Rebecca's sermon on Sunday, it wasn't quite sort of, you know, so, you've, you've done something naughty, there, therefore there's a price to pay for. Um, I think we've actually, we're looking at redemption and what Jesus did on the cross at a way, way deeper level than just naughty acts and sin, sins and so on. We're looking at it at a much deeper level than that. So God's riches at Christ's expense. God just has chosen to give us this stuff, right? He's footing the whole bill. And the riches, what are the riches that he's given to us? Well, I've listed a few there for you, Okay, You're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I think these, most of these are NIVs, except one a bit further down. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's dramatic, isn't it? You, have, you belong to Christ. I'm, I'm assuming you, feel, you, you don't have a problem with believing that one. You belong to Christ. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, you are therefore a new person. Because, you've, because of that, you know, we can talk a long time of how that's happened. How, how have you become a person, a new person? We can actually talk about, are you a new person? You know, is it actually true? You know, do we actually believe the Bible? <gasps> I mean, that's radical, isn't it? You know, actually believe in the Bible. But that's what the Bible says. Okay, 1 John 3, verse 1. Where his children see how very much love how much our father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are his actual children right you are a god child isn't that kind of cool Colossians 2 9 10 for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body so you also so you also and listen to that In Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you also, how how great is that, are complete through your union with Christ. You are one. You are united. You are absolutely joined together with Christ. You are in Christ in a way. That it's impossible virtually to get, it's impossible to get out. You are totally united with him. Okay? That's amazing. Do, is the Bible true? Do we really, really believe that? Colossians 1:27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Now let's just think about this. Let's just think about this the Bible tells us that Jesus is in us. So let's just think of one or two things that, let's just mess with our brains a bit. Let's think of one or two things that Jesus did. Any ideas? Huh? Well, let's just think of one or two things that Jesus did. I'm going to introduce you to the book of Hebrews in a second, but I'll just read you one of the most amazing, all the verses in the Bible are the most amazing verses in the Bible. We all know that, but this is the most amazing verse in the Bible. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. In other words, Jesus is the one who inherits everything, through whom he also created the world right jesus is the one through whom the world and all the universe was made he reflects the glory of god and bears the very stamp of his nature he is god himself he reflects his glory upholding the universe by his word of power that is an amazing verse he actually keeps the universe going every atom every molecule Every electron, every component in this universe is held in existence by Jesus. That's who he is. That's not small, is it? (laughs) And the Bible says, Colossians 2, 9 and 10, you are totally, totally united with him. The Bible says Colossians one twenty-seven, Christ, this Christ who upholds the whole universe and holds the whole universe in his hands is in you. I mean, that's the question is, is it true? Well, anyway, Psalm 103 verse 12. As far as the East is from the West so far, has he removed our transgressions from us? What Jesus did for us was to take our sin away from us, removed our sin from us. Now, we could ha- it's another whole series of sermons to discuss exactly how that happened. But the, the fact is, did it. So therefore, if he has removed all of your sin from you, how much sin have you got? It's kind of too obvious to even say, isn't it? It's too obvious to even say it, but yet you wouldn't believe how many Christians are are afraid of saying it. It's so obvious, it's too obvious to almost even say. But you wouldn't believe how many Christians are afraid of saying it. But you can't run away from this. This is just what he's done. And and as if that's not enough, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he who had not known sin made himself to become sin in your place, so that we would become the righteousness of God. You, now, you know, this is something else. You're going to find many, many Christians are afraid to say this. You are the righteousness of God. You are, you are the righteousness of God. It's crazy. This messes with your brain. The reason it messes with your brain is because you don't feel like it. Right? You don't feel like the righteousness of God. At least, sometimes you do a bit, but you don't most of the time. That uh, I, I, I chose that Aramaic Bible in plain English simply because lots of the other translations are a bit wishy-washy on that. But the Greek is very, very clear. It means... He who were, He became sin, so we should become his righteousness. It doesn't mean, as in some most English translations, that we might become the righteousness of God. It, it's kind, of, it kind of loses it. The English word loses it, loses the meaning. The Greek is very clear: He became sin, so you would become his righteousness." Uh, it's a very, very clear exchange. <laughs> There's no, there's no might about it. <laughs> 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate or join in his divine nature having escaped the corruption that was in the world Wow. now if you actually sit down and start thinking about these verses and start thinking are they actually true that really starts screwing your brain up it starts really messing with your brain because as I say a lot of times we don't feel it. And the question is, is it true? Is all of it true right now? And to start to answer that, we're just going to have a little look in the book of Hebrews. So I don't know if you've got your Bibles electronically or get get an electronic Bible out or a paper Bible. Have you got a, can we grab you something? Have you got one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to uh, actually look at these. I don't know. Uh, you might have to actually. have uh, forgive me a little bit because I've not actually talked this one through before, uh, and it's only the last couple of days that I was kind of thinking about preparing and talking to you guys. Uh, and I, I do this session in a totally different way. Uh, but I was as I was reading these two chapters in hebrews it was like oh my gosh i gotta share this with somebody so i'm sharing it with you right? <laughs> right you're the you're the guinea pigs you're the uh, you're the experiments that i'm experimenting on just the first time i'm talking about these two chapters in hebrews because they've absolutely blown me away right just so you understand what the purpose of the book of hebrews was And maybe who even wrote it? Sorry, this sounds like in a proper Bible school teaching. Who actually wrote? Who was the author of the book of Hebrews? Well, some people used to say Paul, but I think probably since the time of the Reformation, it's become very clear to most people that it really wasn't Paul. Many people think it was Barnabas, in fact, or Apollos. You've heard of these people, uh, compatriots of Paul. but the truth is, nobody really knows. I think Barnabas is probably the, probably the most accepted one. So let's just assume it's Barnabas, son of encouragement. And it was written to uh, the Jewish Christians who were definitely under incredible persecution. And many of them were uh, starting to be kind of afraid and, t- and, and watering down the gospel, the truth of Christianity and, and wanting to go back to Judaism just to have an easier life. And uh part of there was there was definitely a Gnostic, what's called a Gnostic heresy, where people were uh uh talking about angels representing us before God, and, you know, the ideas of angels and how important angels were, more important than us, and so on. Uh, <coughs> so Part of this first chapter of Hebrews, Paul talks, uh, sorry, Paul Barnabas, or the writer of Hebrews, talks about angels quite a lot, simply because that was one of the things that the people were getting back into. Uh, I can't remember whether it was the Sadducees or the Pharisees, had a bit of a Gnostic thing on that. Uh, anyway, one of those groups did. Um, and like I said, I've read the first two or three verses of this, the, the book starts with, okay, let's, let's just put it dead straight, who is Jesus, right? That's why it's, been, it's so emphatic. It, it, it's lecturing people, right, you want to go back to being Jews again, maybe, all right? You're at risk of it, and it's saying, look, I just want you to think about this. Who is Jesus? And it says here, In many and various ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son, who is the heir of all things. He is the one who inherits the whole universe. And through him, he created the world. He reflects the whole glory. The glory of God is in Jesus. And he bears the very stamp of his nature, who God is is in this is who Jesus is. He's God Himself. He looks like Him. He is Him. That's what He's saying. He bears His appearance. He's got the very stamp of His nature. He looks like God. He is God, <laughs> right? I think that there's a there's a beer advert about that. No? Anyway, in a man, I can't remember. <laughs> Upholding the universe by His word of power. In other words, Jesus is the one who holds the universe in existence. So, that's the start of the book. Okay, before you start thinking about going to be Jews again and ignoring Jesus, let's just think about who he is. And, oh, here's one to screw with your brain. Ah, I'll just throw this one in. It's just a lovely little brain wobbler. At the end of verse 3, it says, When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So when he would made purification, when he would cleansed us of our sins, and I just want to, uh, Sue knows what I'm going to say here. When do you think that happened? Have you got a date in your head? When Jesus made purification for our sins. How many years ago? About 2,000. Well, let me tell you this. If you look in the book of Revelations, it actually tells you when the Lamb of God was slain. The Lamb of God was slain from the, do you know it? Which verse is it? Is it, uh, Revelations? Ooh. Oh, I, I think I might, can't remember the verse. Is it Revelation 16? No, oh, I can't remember anyway. Uh, it's talking about people whose names are written in the book of the life of the Lamb. And it says who was slain from the foundation of the world Do you know that verse? Do you know it? The the lamb who was slain can can anybody remember which verse it is? Uh 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 uh, uh. If I'm teaching on a tape, I better get it right. Um in revelations everybody whose book was not written in the lamb of the the book of the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world oh i'm sorry sorry 138 is it yeah there we go now my rsv put it the so wrong puts it the wrong way around it says, and, and again, it's because, you know, some of these translators are scared to actually translate the, the Greek as it really is because they think, no, that, it can't mean that. So the translators of the RSV, it says, all who dwell on earth will worship it and everyone whose name, this is the Antichrist, the beast, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb of Life that was slain. In other words, it sounds like the Book of Life was written before the foundation of the world. But in fact, the Greek is very, very clear. It says, the book, of the, la- the book of Life of the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. It's very, very clear. The Greek's very clear. It says, the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world before, essentially, before time began. That's when Jesus, made purification for our sins now I just want to throw that one in as a weird one let that mess with your brain right? when were our sins forgiven in our time scale because we have to live in this time scale don't we we're limited in time we see things past, present, future but the Bible says Jesus said before Abraham was I am Jesus is completely outside of time. He lives outside of time. He holds time in his hand. He holds the universe in his hand. And the Bible tells us in Revelations that the Lamb of God was slain before the world was created. In other words, as where in his heart, even before the world began, he died for us. He manifested that death and that sacrifice for us 2000 years ago in our time scale he came to earth he manifested in our time scale but the book of the Bible tells us he was slain so when he it says when he made purification for our sins he sat down at the right hand of God his works have been completed from the foundation of the world anyway I, I, I don't mean to go into that one in any great depth now because that you get into the real realms of philosophy and metaphysics and it will really screw you that will screw your brains up totally and I perhaps I don't want to do that just now anyway that's who Jesus is chapter 1 and then he talks a bit about angels so we'll skip that on to chapter 2 the writer of Hebrew then starts talking about who we are verse 5 for it wasn't angels that God subjected the world to come. He's talking about our world, the world of men, the world that was to come. That's us of which we are speaking. It's been testified somewhere, what is man that you're thinking about him? What is man? Or the son of man that you care for him? And it says, you made him a little lower than the angels. So still talking about angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection to his feet now many people again think that his when god says he's put everything in subjection to his feet he's talking about this son of man what is man that you're thinking about him or the son of man that you should care for him but you've put everything in subjection to him in other words everything is under his control and, and a lot of people have written have thought, well that must be referring to Jesus, because it couldn't refer to us. Right? But I think I'm pretty certain that the writer of Hebrews here is saying this is who you actually are. Which this is um sorry verse uh seven or verse six. Verse six in Hebrews. Some translations translate it as us, right? The world, w- God has put everything in subjection to us. Some translations put it, translate it as every- God's made everything subject to Jesus. Uh, well, and he's quoted from Psalm 8 where it's obvious that he's talking about people and not Jesus. Yes, Christ. yes, it is. And I think people, people, some translators have translated it Jesus because they just can't, scared to get hold of the fact that, like Sue says, he's actually quoting Psalm 8, which is talking about people. I mean, that's amazing. It, it says, it says God, he's made everything subject to us. In other words, he's created us to reign in this life. Right? That's, that, that's just the reality. He's made everything subject to us. Verse 11 for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, all, have all one origin. And in the Greek, it said, are of the same. Those, he, who, he who makes holy and those who are being made holy are of the same. That's, the, what's, that's what the words in the Greek says. In other words, they come from the same place that's what we said before we read him before he's united us with him the same stuff we're children we're God we're God children right verse 11 and because we're the same he says that is why in verse 11 that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers all right brothers you're a brother Jesus is your brother you're Jesus' brother same same stuff and verse 13 and again i will put my trust in him and again here i am and the children god has given me my like god's children god's brothers it's, can you can you can you feel it? it the one word that describes all this is family family god is calling us family we're pa- we're part of the we're part of the god family we're united with Him. He's given us everything into our hands. He's put everything in subjection to our feet. Whether it's Jesus or us, it really doesn't matter because we're united with Him anyway. That's just who we are. We've got the same DNA, the same genetic makeup as God. You know, we're the same. The same. We're the same. We're the family. There's no doubt that's, that God wants us to identify with Jesus. Who he is, what he is, what he does, his nature, everything. And yet, we've got a problem. And it's in verse 15. Look down to verse 15. Right? He, he said, he came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. The truth is, you start then looking with your eyes, When you start thinking with your mind and you look around and you realize that everything is decaying, people die. People do wrong things. And I think the word probably to use in that sense is corruption. Do you know that word? Yeah. We live in a world where we see with our eyes corruption. The answer to that, of course, is in these verses 14 to 18. It says, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself shared in our flesh and blood, so that when he died, he could destroy that flesh and blood and destroy the power of death and deliver all those who, through fear of death and corruption, We're in bondage to it. In other words, what Jesus did, and I think I'm probably not going to really talk about the mechanism of how he did it, but what Jesus did transferred us from that fear, that place of living in a world of corruption. What he has done is delivered us from that world of corruption into something else. And we've been looking at these something else's, haven't we? You know, this grace stuff. Now the question is, if that's the truth, if all that is the truth, that Jesus did everything, we live in this world of corruption, but he's done everything that's necessary to deliver us from this world of corruption, and we've looked at all this stuff, all this list of verses about what is now true, What about verse 8? Just look at verse 8 in Hebrews. He says, He's put everything in subjection under His feet, our feet, Jesus' feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside of His control. He's like, everything means everything. Jesus has everything subject to him. Everything is subject to us. Everything means everything. Okay? Sounds great. But as it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now there's a problem, isn't it? Now there's a big problem. We're living in this world of corruption and the Bible is saying Jesus has done all of these things to free us from this world of corruption. He's done all these incredible things. Everything's under his control. Everything's under his feet. He's left nothing out. He actually says that. It's everything means everything. Left out nothing. But guess what? The problem is we don't see it. Now there's a problem. There's one of our biggest problems. Maybe our very biggest problem. We don't actually see it. People die. People get disease. People do wrong things. <laughs> That's what we see, isn't it? And the question is the point I'm making, the point, I, I just want to bring a little concept to you here. Now, do you believe that this Word of God is the truth? It's real. That's not quite so easy a question as you might think. But I want to ask you, in this tidal wave of revelation that's coming to us, this tidal wave that's hitting you, and God is, God is flowing his word through you, have you begun to believe that it's actually true? That's a big question, isn't it? And the, one of the problems with that question This verse 8. The problem is we don't see it. We don't see all of it anyway. What we actually see is maybe I swear when I'm angry. Maybe I've hit the kids once or twice when I've lost control. Maybe a friend of mine has died in a road traffic accident. Maybe my parents died of disease. What we actually see is the corruption happening. That's what we actually see. And these are the facts that we see. And I just want to introduce you to this idea of, the, of a... You see, do we believe the truth of God's Word or do we believe the facts that we see? What would you say to in answer to that? I'm I'm phrasing the question in a very difficult way. Depends on the day. Yeah, depends on whether you've had a good sleep or not. Yeah, you know, whether you've had some whiskey or not or whatever. What film you've just been to see. <laughs> Sorry guys, am I screwing your brain am I screwing with your brains a little bit? Do we believe truth or facts? It might as well questions Yeah, have you got any questions? <laughs> well I want to suggest that we believe both. The th- the problem is you cannot escape the facts, can you? You can't actually say that didn't happen. And you feel like you're committing some sort of mental crime if you say, "Well, that didn't happen." Well, it actually did. So you can't actually say, "This didn't happen." Olivia, your dad died, didn't he? What did he die of, love? Are you okay speaking about this? Yeah, cancer. He cancer of what was it? Gallbladder, no, prostate, cancer. prostate cancer. Yeah. So he died of disease. My dad died of disease. In fact, most of us. Our- have died of disease. We live in a world of disease and these are facts, okay? These are facts, but the Bible tells us that on the cross, which happened before the foundation of the world, which happened before the world began, it, we, it, just, it, just, it just happened in history in our time scale. The Bible says in Isaiah, He took all our sins and He took all our diseases. Now, is that true? It's difficult to say yes, isn't it? When the facts tell you, wait a bit, wait a bit, wait a bit, everybody's dying of disease. But, I remember praying for a guy one of my patients, I, I'm, a, I'm a doctor by the way, I've just retired. I went to see a guy who, the hospital was coming for him that day to take him into hospital to die because he had a blood cancer and he, he was in and out of hospital and he, every, he was just getting worse and worse and worse and they have decided that he couldn't have any more treatment and he's just kind of going to go in to die so he's going to, he had about two weeks to live. God woke me up in the middle of the night. Well, now I had a dream, really. And, 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 it, and I, I woke up in the middle of the night and having, having this dream, it turned into a vision. And, and I saw myself going and really praying for this guy to be healed. Now, he wasn't expecting me to go around to his house. But I, I woke up in the morning and I was sweating. And I couldn't believe it. I just knew I had to go to his house. So and this is one of many stories, and many stories I can tell you. Uh, I went round to his house and it took me ages to explain myself at the door. Why are you here? Well, I've come to pray for your husband to be healed. It's like, oh, you know, and uh, these people, they kind of went to church, but they weren't believers. They weren't believing people. And uh, so I spent a long time explaining him how God sometimes speaks to Christians and he kind of spoke to me in the night and, I, and he showed me what I had to do. And I was, gonna, I was gonna shout very loudly in tongues and do lots of things which kind of would feel scary. And I had to explain to him, but I'm not shouting at you, um, just claiming the truth. I'm just claiming. So I went and I prayed and then he started crying and he, got, he, got, he started shaking and crying and he started screaming. And he's telling his wife, tell him to go, tell him to go. And I was like, (laughs) oh no. And I ran out. I was like, oh my God, I'm so scared. Because I thought the next week I'm going to, you know, there's going to be news headline. This guy is abusing his position as a doctor and goes to this patient and, you know, I was, you know, he's, he's abusing a dying man. You know, this man is dying and I'm just going there. Doing my religious thing on him, and, and I, oh my gosh, I, I, I was convinced I was going to get arrested or something. Uh, she was going to make a complaint. Two years later, this man walked through my door, completely healed. At work, I didn't recognize him. You know, we ha- we played a little game. He was he was he was he realized I didn't kind of recognize him, and, and you know, anyway, he was. But it was him. I got really annoyed I said why have you (laughs) waited two years to tell me I've lived for two years thinking I was gonna get arrested or something (laughs) why am I saying that because it was the it was the, the fact was this guy was gonna die in two weeks but the truth said Jesus has taken our diseases so I made that choice I'm not gonna live by the facts I'm going to live by the truth. Does that make sense? There's a difference between facts and truth. And I'm going to explain uh, that a little bit more. So, let's just take an example. And this is a real example. This is an example in my life. I bless my dad now. I love my dad. I'm thankful to God for my dad. And all of this is okay now so and i know my dad will be smiling if he could see me what's going on which he might i don't know Uh, but he was a cold and a distant father in many ways a very angry father Uh, now the question is if we have cold distant angry fathers and i i suspect that at least one person in this room as well as me probably had slightly cold or emotionally detached emotionally distant or maybe not there maybe working up till seven eight o'clock because trying to build a business and then you know dad comes home and then kids going to bed they never see him dad's just not there you know whatever you understand what i'm saying that sort of picture i think maybe you did some of this in last week i don't know in the father heart thing in a, in a one or two or three or four or five-year-old child who's in that situation, what sort of things are they going to believe about themselves? Give me some ideas. Can you think what they might believe about themselves? This is what I believed about myself. So this is a true story. Any ideas? Guesses? Sorry? Well, any age. A child. A child who is too young to understand what's happening. The child doesn't understand that the father is going out till seven, eight o'clock trying to earn money, trying to create a house, a beautiful place for his child to live in. The child doesn't know any of that. Doesn't understand that. What the child knows, father's not there. father's not there for me. That's what the child knows, experiences. So what's the child going to believe? Absolutely. Maybe I'm not good enough, or father doesn't want to be with me. Well, that's that's kind of looks true, doesn't it? It feels true. The father doesn't want to be with me. Maybe that's because I'm no good. Maybe it's because I'm worthless. He doesn't want to be with me. Can you? Uh, uh, a young child might process that in his brain I'm not wanted he doesn't want me my father doesn't want me why? maybe maybe I'm a mistake maybe maybe I shouldn't be here maybe it would be better if I wasn't here maybe it would be better if I wasn't here and what Later in life, there's, n- there's no doubt whatsoever that that translates into, okay, everybody's telling me God is the Father, but guess what then? Ha! You know, God doesn't want me. God the Father doesn't, can't, can't want me. How can God the Father want a mistake like me? God doesn't like me. God doesn't think I'm good enough. All of those beliefs, can you see how they, they happen in the heart of a two, three, four, five-year-old child? They're there for a long time. And the problem is, you know, these, these beliefs, you know, if this happens day after day after day after day after week after month after year. They they become like bricks. It's like we're building a house of belief. I am worthless. Father doesn't love me. I'm no good. It would be better if I didn't exist. And these becomes like, we call them strongholds, like like, like castles, strong castles in our hearts. And they take take the space. Fill our hearts. And the Bible, uh, Jesus said, you know, from uh, you know, in Luke, Luke 6, Jesus said, Out of the overflow of the heart, a man speaks. So when you believe these things, you kind of act this way. That's kind of what you feel you are. You start acting like this. And and then if, 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 if you speak into somebody and you, you're acting like I'm no good, I'm worthless, well, they might want to bully you. They might want to... Every, everything that happens usually tends to fulfill. Have you heard this self-fulfilling prophecy? Do you, you hear that phrase? It's a phrase we use in English. Whereas the way you behave causes people to, be, to act towards you in a way that makes it feel true. So you, you, so you believe it more, and so on. And lies, that, now the, the thing is, in that, in that story, is it true, or is it a lie that you are unwanted? True or false? It's a lie. But do you believe it? In this story? Yeah. Is it true that Father hates you? Do you believe it yeah so you have these strongholds which are lies and now this is an obvious one who is really enjoying this who in fact is the father of lies the devil again too obvious to say isn't it the devil's having a great time he's loving this he's loving seeing all these people who Jesus has died for from the foundation of the world, yet yeah, all these strongholds of lies building up bigger, bigger, stronger, stronger lies in our hearts. And then, whoa, the devil's really happy then because when they become Christians, guess what? They say, oh yeah, God loves me, God loves me. But guess what? They really, really, really Now that's the devil's plan, to try to build so much of this rubbish. So even if people become Christians, they don't really believe that God loves them. Well, the truth is this. The truth is like a tidal wave. The truth is like a tidal wave. And he comes in and he joins and, and, and we become, we, well, we realize that we are one with him. And from deep inside, he starts, he gets inside the castles, and he says, wait a bit, no, uh, uh uh all of these lies you've been believing, they're not true. These are the facts. Your, the fact is your father wasn't there for you. The fact is you were bullied. The fact is uh, this person left you, that person left you, that person, left you. these are all the facts. Okay, but the truth is this is who you are. Jesus comes and attacks the facts with his truth. Does that make sense? So this is what's going on in our hearts. We surround we live in a world of facts, and we make conclusions from these facts, and they're usually bad conclusions, often bad conclusions. not always, but often bad conclusions. But I want to show you another verse, 2 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 5. Let me just read this. I'll read it from, uh, I'll read it from my little screen, my script, because it's easier, rather than flicking through my Bible. <clears throat> but you can look it up. 2 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Arguments, pretensions are lies, okay? Does that make sense? We're not basically saying, we ha- God, has- God has given us what we need to destroy the lies that have built up in our hearts. We demolish arguments, and every uh, we our our weapons have power to destroy strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ, and we take captive every thought. Okay. I am a piece of rubbish. That's the thought that my that came into my heart when my dad was working until eight o'clock every night. I'm a piece of rubbish. I'm no good. He doesn't want me, right? We take that, take captive that thought and make it obedient to Christ. In other words, we become lie busters, right? Lie busters. That's what the Bible says we do. We damage lies. Satan is the father of lies. He's tried to put tons of lies inside of us just to try to make us ineffective. And the devil would just love us to dwell on facts, all right? The fact people die. The fact my father wasn't there for me. And, we, and he wants us just to live in the world of facts. And yet, I hope I've shown you there is a different world, a world of truths, who you really are. Right? And the trick, from God's point of view, is to is to do something with our minds to bring revelations so we realize excuse me these facts have lied to me my father the fact of my father being a working till 10 o'clock he's lied to me he's told me I was rubbish but that's not the truth the facts are not the truth okay so as a church we're going to spend 5 months marinating you I love, these, I love these cookery terms. I, uh, I see God like a cook. It's kind of a bit like that. It's one of my pictures. I have him as a big cook. But he's marinating you in truth. That's what's going to happen in these next five months. We're just marinating you in truth. Truth from the inside, because Jesus has been joined with you on the inside, and much of that truth is just going to ha- land there anyway. It's just going to happen. You're suddenly going to realize, "Woo!" and know who I am. And all of these lies, many strongholds, are just going to go fall down. Fantastic. But probably some are not going to fall down quite so easily. And for many, many Christians find that there are some strongholds which have been there such a long time. They're so big. The walls are so thick. They're not falling down quite so easily. And when somebody behaves in this way to me, suddenly (laughs) I react in this bad way, which probably is evidence of the fact that, oh gosh, I don't really believe in myself very much. So the question is grace, what God has done. That's the truth. Do we totally, fully believe all of that? We're trying to. Some of us believe some of the things completely. Some of us believe a lot of the things completely. Most of us have a bit of struggle with some of it, believing some of it because of the strongholds, the lies that have been in our hearts since we were children or later. So how do we engage with grace? Firstly, just marinade. Soak in it, read the Bible, listen to Christians, sing the songs, dream, pray, talk to God. Remember, coming back to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, but we don't see everything in subjection to Christ, but what we do see is Jesus. But we do see Jesus. We do have a relationship with Him. And it's all about relationship. That's who He is. He's our lover. He's our friend. He's our brother. He's our father. Okay? It's all about family. All about relationship. That's what makes sense of this world. The relationship we have with Him. So, engaging with grace, first marinate in the truth, where you find that. We've still got some strongholds, and we'll be looking at how to identify some of these little strongholds that are still there, the lies that are still there, are stopping us taking hold of the truth. There are various tools. Christians have called it inner healing. We have a sozo ministry in our church. Uh, Sue and I lead up the sozo ministry, which is entirely aimed at trying to identify where lies and strongholds still, still are there and then working at, using, using the weapons God has given us to destroy those strongholds. It's a great ministry. Uh, but in general terms, firstly, dwell on the truth a lot. Secondly, if you find that you're stuck in a bit of a place and you're struggling to believe something, search out another Christian. That's what Christian, that's what we're here for, to help each other, to, ha- to help each other work through recognize the lies, work through why are we struggling, and help each other pray, live together, work together, and together destroy strongholds. So together we're growing up into an, an, an understanding of who we actually really are. Okay, that's it. We're all learning how to access the grace that God has already given us. End of story. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny Podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk